As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg, and you are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. And we are still trying to figure out our post-World Cup reality, our life. I'm at least through the jet lag. But uh, we didn't want to wait to get this episode out because I'm very excited to have Angel City co-founder Kara Nortman here with us today. She just wrote an op-ed for Yahoo that ran last week called, With the Women's World Cup Now Over, Here Are Five Big Soccer Predictions. There is a link in the show notes for you to give it a read, but I wanted to discuss her takeaways from the tournament, what happens next for the NWL. I think that's such a massive conversation that we're still having that I'm in the middle of trying to write a couple stories about. And, and of course, we had to talk about what's happening in Spain right now. But what I loved most about this conversation is thinking about the sport from a place of abundance and not fear. Before we get to that conversation, as always, you can show your support of full-time, plus get all of our women's soccer coverage and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and on our app. You can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. So you're, the, the best part of this is, is that we are actually running a limited time deal of $1 a month, uh, our, our classic, but that means you will be covered through the NWSL Championship, through the U.S. Women's National Team Coaching Search, Steph and I will both be heading to the U.S. Women's National Team Friendlies next month in Cincinnati and Chicago, and we just found out that will include Megan Rapinoe's final game for the Stars and Stripes, and it will take you all the way through next summer's Olympics as well. So you can subscribe right now for $1 a month at theathletic.com slash full-time. Now here's Kara Norman. All right. Um, let's just start. I mean... Are you, when did you get back? Are you off of the jet lag? What has been really funny is I was just at Gotham mm. yesterday and talking to player or two days ago now and talking to players and everybody was just like, what is with the 4 a.m. wake up time for you? It's probably even worse. But like for East Coasters, it's you wake up at 4 a.m. and there's no stopping it. Yeah. I mean, the jet lag has been um, well, actually, I've completely ignored the jet lag because I came back into such intensity. I was, I'm actually angry that I don't get to have jet lag. <laughs> so um, I, I uh, yeah, the jet lag seems like it's pretty, but, but, but I was over there for a part of the time with my, my family. So I have three children who get to sleep till noon. <laughs> yeah. 
It's um it 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 was a wild World Cup. Obviously, you know, I want to talk to you about you wrote an op-ed for Yahoo Sports about some of your big takeaways from the World Cup from this kind of because I remember the first time we ever talked, right? Like the origin story for you is is trying to find Megan Klingenberg <laughs> jerseys in 2015. So there is kind of this, I think, natural storytelling around the World Cup and around what World Cups unlock. And this was a very different World Cup, right, yeah. than 2015 and, and 2019. Um, so what was your you know impression on the ground of kind of what was happening? Obviously, Angel City had a very heavy presence over there. Yeah, I mean, I'd say a couple of things. Just for me personally, I realize how big a role World Cup plays for me in just um, thinking about sports more generally. And and there really is nothing like experiencing it. And so Angel City did start uh, in general and for me out of the 2015 World Cup. Um, and this kind of frustration I felt not being able to find a jersey or content um, that led to all the market research and all the things that that ultimately led to Angel City. I would say, though, like this World Cup in a way felt very similar to 15 for me and not like 19. Mm. Um, Tell me more. Uh, 19, I felt like there was a plan. We were in it. There was something we were fighting for. There was like there was a thesis and it just <laughs> took a little while to get it off the ground. <laughs> this one felt like a complete reset of the table. And so I did end up writing this op-ed for Yahoo. I probably generated another 50 pages of writing that I didn't do anything with. Meg, should you want it? <laughs> um and for me, there's no reason I need to publish. And I often just write for myself, but I felt some like deep sense of like, I need to write and figure out what's going on. Mm. Um, so I'd say more than anything, I don't think, you know, I have a lot of thoughts and answers. So I'll try to be fun and interesting for you here. <laughs> but I think we're going to figure this out um, over the next hundred days and, and really over the next 11 months until we get to the Olympics. Um, my biggest takeaway is the one that we all have, which is something has changed. And um, in the positive way, I would say I felt um, like sovereign lines felt a little less sovereign to me, mm -hmm. um, where it's like, this is what we want, you know, like, this is what we want for the sport, right? This is like, if you think about what got us here, it's like the virtuoso football players or soccer players being respected for their craft, just as much fun as the men, just calling it the World Cup yeah. or the Men's World Cup and the Women's World Cup. And that is happening all over the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was so struck. <clears throat> it was really funny because, you know, going to New Zealand and it felt like New Zealand had this kind of like strange anxiety of like, are we doing it right? Are we, are we like, and I was just like, you do not understand how well you are doing with this World Cup. Like, you arrive in Auckland, like you are just like smacked in the face by World Cup vibes immediately. You know, the stadiums were all great. And there was this sense of this is just a World Cup like that was mm. it, in a level I have never experienced. Right. Yeah. And aren't aren't the Kiwis just such amazing? I, they're lovely. I to ask because there's so much just natural humility and humanity there that uh yeah natalie and i were talking about just like such an amazing country and yeah chance to go over and, and meet i mean it's just it's so <laughs> it's so funny to me just in terms of like some of the connections that i feel like everyone made connections over there instantly with people in new zealand and australia and you know for me it was 
going over to Wahiki Island outside of Auckland. Mm. And basically I feel like I've, I've low key been adopted by the folks at the whiskey bar that I found <laughs> on the Island, the Heke and, and, you know, like just <laughs> this kind of hilarious relationship blossoming because I'm like, I'm obsessed with them. And so I was like, everyone should go. But then they were like, hi. So people keep showing up and being like, Meg told us to go here. So it was this very like, I don't know. I, I feel like there was something, there is something magical about traveling for a world, for a women's world cup. I think yeah. for a men's world cup, but for a women's world cup in particular of just, yes, the sense of camaraderie, the sense of like, we're all here together like, yes, we're going to be rooting for our teams, but there is this bigger purpose. And that has extended of, you know, I think Megan Rapino said it really well in her interview of we're playing this game on the field, but we're all together in this bigger project. 100%. And that yeah. vibe really came through. But I also would say, I mean, for me, at least sometimes uh, I now refer to myself as the Forrest Gump of soccer because I, I just, <laughs> I show up in important places at the right time. Uh, even I was in Spain when they, uh, you know, when uh, Barcelona against Real Madrid broke the mm. nine record and last minute I decided to go up to that game. Um, but I felt that way at the MLS Cup finals last year, you know, when uh, LAFC beat Philadelphia. And so I but I think the point you're bringing up, I mean, there is something bigger going on in women's sports, but also and also um, I think sitting in soccer stadiums around the world, men's and women's is is really the best way to understand the culture of the sport, to make friends, to lean into joy. And the cultures are different, but there's just something for me. It's like popcorn in my brain. Um, just sitting in that environment um, that is really, really special. Um, and I think, you know, I just encourage anyone who wants to participate in the ecosystem to just do it. The, the, the stuff on the paper is on the paper. And when you live it, it just, it settles differently. Yeah. What was your favorite game that you went to? This, this was a tough one in that regard. I feel like, and I'm going to keep my preferences largely silent. Every game <laughs> I went to, the team I was rooting for in my heart lost. Yeah. <laughs> I know. At one point, told my kids, I said, I know. You're, not, "You're not buying a scarf at this game, so this team <laughs> can win." Um, but no, the favorite game I went to was probably um, the Australian, um, you know, the Australia England. Yeah, game. yeah. That I mean, just an perfect. epic, <laughs> an epic game. Truly, like just again, the way that Australia really rallied around the Matildas, I thought was was so special and just. I don't know. It felt you know, like this is a, a 99 level event and we have seen how formative that can be. And just hopefully all of that momentum carries in, but yeah, we got some, some truly epic games in this world cup. Truly epic. I also seem to have a tendency to go to more of the scoreless games. Um, <laughs> we didn't like goals in the games. Yeah. That we yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. That was, that, that game was incredible. I mean, the finals were incredible. Just, yeah watching the the two teams on the field were the two teams you know that probably should have been on the field and it was just kind of watching some incredible football you know yeah. I mean, that made my heart sing all right so let's talk about some of your takeaways and i want to start with your first one there will be a link if people have not read it in the show notes here so that way um if you want to hit pause and read <laughs> then come back but you know your first point here is that the next world cup winner might not even like be on our radar as we we traditionally think of our radar of like oh you have the big teams of us germany right and like i mean as we saw in this world cup us goes out round of 16 germany's out in group stage 
Canada Olympic champs out in group stage, Brazil out in group stage, mm -hmm. Spain's first tournament, 2015, right. 2019 winners and knowing we'll get into Spain in a minute, but like knowing that the path, <laughs> I think what I want to talk to you about is investment in this sport has such a fast impact. It feels like. Yeah. Well, I, a hundred percent, you know, I, the, one of my, favorite, like as I was doing my 50 pages of writing and research, <laughs> one of my favorite stats I found um, was just that um, every team that had won prior, and there I think were only three, three um, yeah. had been in the first World Cup in 91. So not just that Spain had been won, winning U17 and U20 World Cups, which, you know, you guys reported on so beautifully, like that was fascinating. I didn't, you know, I don't know that the world realized that, like those are called leading indicators, right? <laughs> But, um, but that, um, in t you know, that the kind of the dynasties were so built in and everyone else had experience dating back to 91 and Spain had experience that came into the first World Cup in 2015. And I remember sitting in the stands in 19 when uh, the U.S. was playing Spain mm. and that was my most nervous game. Oh, 100%. Right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Not even close. That is absolutely it's the same thing I tell everyone. The Spain game was the only game where oh, there was yeah, real anxiety. And, and it felt like, and I was sitting with Becca Rue, who runs the player, you know, the U.S. Women's National League Players Association. And, and I, I was sitting there and I was like, this is bigger than this game. It felt bigger. It felt momentous and it felt like we needed to win. But anyway, I don't, I didn't realize that was only Spain's second World Cup when I was sitting there watching that. If I had, maybe I would have been running around yelling from treetops a little <laughs> bit more. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I just think like, I think one of the most interesting things is like to become a little less American in, in, mm -hmm. in both our criticism and our hubris. Um and just to like get super curious about what's happening in the world, to travel to these countries, to watch games, you know, to want to know what's going on in Brazil. I mean, this was an incredible World Cup for me because it was the first time I was working at World Cup, but I met with, you know, heads of almost every federation, leagues, clubs, and I learned so much. And I met this incredible young woman from Brazil who runs Ronaldo's female, like female team, like that Ronaldo owns in mm -hmm. Brazil. And I just felt my curiosity peak you know, pick. Um, uh, and I think it's just really like what's happening, I think, is that it's a sport where you just need a ball and dirt and, and you can have a kid, you know, kicking it against a wall and where technical games can be physical games and there's many different styles of play. So, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just I think that's exciting. And yeah. um, we have no idea who's going to win the next one. But uh, no. the fire's lit everywhere. Yeah, no, I think it is. You know, Spain is obviously a great story. I think Morocco is also a great story and just for men's and women's right to your point of like they have kind of really gone all in on figuring out how do we how do we hang right at World Cups and we've seen it. <laughs> we've seen it on both, you know, the 2022 men's and the 2023 women's just immediately they've become a real a real factor. Yeah, I mean, and by the way, I mean, I think that's an important point. Uh, like I heard so much about Morocco's training facility. I heard, you know, and so you just look at Brazil versus Morocco and I know Brazil went out early. That was one of the games I was at. Um, but, uh, every country has something different to offer, mm -hmm. to inspire, to get people going. And so now on my bucket list is, you know, I met some people who are running academies in, in Morocco and Morocco and nonprofits. I heard about their training facility. Um, that's where a lot of my 
personal like curiosity one is like, what is Morocco doing and what are they doing differently? And so I just think it's fascinating to know how like Spain rose up versus Morocco, which is completely and totally different. Um, And um, so I think they're going to be different, like fire, different ways fires are lit and not one clean answer. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think we've seen that, you know, we're, we're going to get into this a little bit, but I want to swap us over to how the domestic game plays a role in this because the next two points that you make are there's going to be more incentive for players to play at home, right? Spain largely plays club soccer in Spain. Um, Canada is in the middle of figuring out a new domestic league there. Mm. U.S. obviously NWSL. But what I found really interesting is that you have both players are going to have more incentive to play at home, but also for the U.S., there is potentially more incentive for players to go abroad. And so I was hoping that you could maybe walk us through how you're thinking about, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're in this space. And so you're seeing it firsthand. So what are you seeing from, from, I guess, both of those, those pieces of information? Yeah. Well, I'm going to frame it up with the the why for us at Angel City, and that will actually get us to the answer, but just (laughs) because it's a, it is a, it's not going to be any one thing I think Mm -hmm. that drives where players go. Um, but, but, and, and I think it's important because it'll give you a lens on how I see the world. But uh, when we, like, I can boil down why I wanted to start Angel City. And it was to show, to, to show that the best players in the world could pack stadiums, um, to, to pay them, um, you know, to show what women day-to-day female leadership and female community could do in, you know, kind of building out models um, that surprise people. Uh, and, um, and then to show that a club could be worth as much as, you know, a women's club could be worth as much as Liverpool someday. And the reason I say that is like, I, I do think so many players, like these points are so many players are going to go home for, for reasons that are like, there's just a lot of different things that are going to drive players. And if one of the reasons we started is like, make sure the best players in the world begin to get paid and we get revenue streams in to pay them. Well, there's certain countries that are paying now, like Mm -hmm. real money. So that may be a driver for some people. Then you have completely different styles of play. And so the best players in the world may want exposure to both. They may not, right? Like there are many of the best men's players in the world played their entire career at one academy and, and team and just experienced one style of play. But U.S. is more physical. You know, European countries are, are more technical. Um, but the third thing, and I think this is the big change that came out of this World Cup, is that there's just there's actually a lot of pride in playing for your country and your 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 home. <laughs> um, and uh, one of the ma- major reasons U.S. players stayed in the U.S. was it was sort of mandated by the national yeah. team coaches, right? And so um, that may happen in other countries. If you want to be on Colombia's national team, I don't know, maybe they have a coach that's like, come play in the Colombian league. I thought that was fascinating. Almost all the Colombian national team players play in the Colombian league, right? And so... Um, so anyway, so I think that it's just like going to segment into a lot of reasons, but I think the combination of starting younger, you know, kind of pride of, you know, uh, starting younger, playing professionally, pride of playing for national teams that can compete and win, Mm -hmm. um, is going to have a lot more players kind of thinking about their home country, um, uh, and, and their, their kind of emotional commitment, um, and connection to it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, I mean, I feel like one of the real takeaways and obviously, you know, I've been working on some bigger NWSL pieces coming out of the World Cup and just in terms of what this means for the league. But I think even NWSL side, what is really interesting and I want to, this maybe gets into your next point of thinking women's leagues are going to separate from men's leagues, right? Because this has always been one of the very interesting things about the NWSL is that it has been this independent <laughs> thing where some teams are affiliated with men. Some are, some are completely independent. Sometimes that variety has been a strength. Sometimes it has caused issues, right? Um, but you think about what, <laughs> how Europe approaches soccer, right? And, how that has kind of just basically been a blueprint for the women's game to follow of you have these academies, you have teams, they are associated with clubs that already have these followings. There's just kind of this instant like, okay, we got it. We know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, all it needs is the money, right? Like truly it just needs people to care and for people to to give money. And then here we've really had to build, right? Like we got the, the jump because of Title IX mm-hmm. and the college game mm-hmm. and that natural advantage Mm -hmm. has gone away. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now the question is, how do you, how do we learn from other countries and how do we think about developing players? Like that to me is ultimately, I think one of the biggest takeaways from this world cup is what is the future of the pipeline? And have you, by the way, I mean, right. I, 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 we probably both spent hundreds of hours talking about this. Do you have your own takeaways? Because everyone's got an opinion. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, everybody has an opinion. My, my is usually to figure out what, what everybody else's is and try to synthesize it. But, you know, I think there is a, it's tough because I think we are firmly embedded in our ways here, right? Like the system has kind of been set for, you 40 ish years, right? Just of like college plays such a massive role here. And I, 
it will be very interesting, I think, to see how it's hard to change systems once they're in place. That's that's what I will say. Yeah, I mean, like, okay, this is uh, I, I, the Yogi Berra quote comes up. When there's a <laughs> okay. fork in the road, take it. Um, I think more than anything, um, streamlined decision-making, a bias towards action um, and not being afraid of making mistakes is going to be the advantage of a- every league. Um, and getting the right stakeholders around the table. I, I think the, you know, we just need money and go is is not necessarily the right answer because this is a place where it's like a, um, you know, it's 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 group decision making, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you can bring capital in that's a change agent and a different perspective. And I think it tends to work if it's sort of, you know, either capital, it's capital that has kind of, I mean, I'm biased on this front, right? I started... Monarch Collective, Women's Sports Fund, investing in teams, leagues, and rights, and was doing it before it was cool. Um, and you know, spent the last eight years really thinking about how to show up as a minority stakeholder to to be helpful here. But I, I actually think that a lot of you know, you know, kind of like my moderate perspective on this is it's about building trust amongst the stakeholders around the table and making decisions. And the now I, I, I had a chance to speak on stage with, with uh, Julie Ehrman at uh, FIFA, mm-hmm. um, which was very exciting because, you know, you get to talk to the, the whole world. And what I like to do is make this all sound feasible, which it is, um, and like give the, you know, everyone can build clubs and leagues. But the, the thing I said there, which I really believe is I sort of view the 100 days post World Cup is like the first 100 days of American presidential election. And there's no reason why we focus on those hundred days post, uh, you know, president taking office. But the reason, the why is it gives you a sense of the management culture, the leadership style. And I think what's most important right now, wherever you operate, is that you just get the moral authority as a commissioner, as the people showing up to make good decisions from a place of abundance and not fear and to Mm -hmm. act on things that... Um, can set you up for success. Uh, and we can't all copy each other. We have to figure out what is uniquely ours to do. And by ours, like I, I'm, you know, I love spending time all over the world. And I think that gives me kind of a bit more of a global perspective when I'm in Europe or when I'm in the US. Um, and I want, I think we can have multiple leagues that do incredibly well. But I, I sort of think it's like, do are the right people thinking about it at three in the morning and spending all day on it? Yep. Do you have, you know, a, a plan with costs, revenue, and, you know, kind of the right people around the table who built trust? And then what are the few decisions that matter that you can just start making to build a style of like action and knowing where you're going to take, you know, calculated risks to, to build? Um, I can go into more specifics around the U.S. I'm, I'm somewhat dodging the question, but um, I can. <laughs> well, I want to I talk to you about this idea of abundance and not fear, because I think that there is this sense of, you know, the NWSL has always talked a really big game of like, we're the best league in the world. And I I have always, I think, chafed at that a little bit because I don't view it as like a productive conversation, I guess. Like it's, it's, it doesn't really mean anything. Like it truly to me doesn't mean anything because they're all different and it's kind of it's it's like when we get start getting into like who's better LeBron or Jordan I'm like can they both be good cool yeah. like I I yeah. know why it drives conversation but is it a productive conversation I don't know it's I guess our natural human instinct to be like no we want to rank things which fine 
I totally get it. But there is the sense of like, there is both external competition from the NWSL, right? A global competition. And that's going to be, especially I think in the player market moving forward, right? Um, attention is maybe, I don't think that's necessarily like a, a, a fear thing for the U S like there's, there's, if you're watching, you know, Barcelona play in the morning, you can watch angel city play at night, right? Like totally. it's not necessarily an either or, and what we've seen in women's sports is everybody just like, just puts sports into their eyeballs constantly, right? Like we're all watching everything all of the time. Um, but for me, it is interesting just to see the NWSL in this place where you've got global competition. And now we've also got competition from within the U S with, with USL creating, you know, a, a women's league as well. And so there is this sense of like, you, the league has to have a better pitch than just like, we're the best in the world, right? Like you have to distinguish yourself totally. and what the product is. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, by the way, I watch Premier League on my Peloton in the morning on Saturday and Sunday morning, and I hope WSL, WCL soon. And then, you know, I can relax and 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 not sweat during other games. Um, I, I think abundance is a really important mindset here because the whole game needs to grow and it'll grow through collaborations. And I think it's a reality that we love to make analogies to other sports and no analogy holds, um, right? We can learn from other sports, but I sort of always say like women's soccer is really the opportunity to almost like study democracy and figure out how we you would build democracy from scratch <laughs> with the benefit of looking at the US and France and England and all these different democracies 250 years later, like be joyful around making different decisions um, and coming out of abundance. And uh, we get this feedback all the time, like Michelle Kang and I were on stage together at one point in time with two, two kind of prominent figures from male sports. And they're like, God, it seems like you guys are really different and you actually are really trying to help each other win and like collaborating amongst countries. I almost think about it as like, you know, is like <laughs> the players are going to go back and forth anyway. It's a global audience. We all have to win together. And it's a global labor pool. It's not like the NFL, right? right. The NFL is a captive, you know, players can't go anywhere else. The NBA is largely that way. The NHL is largely that way. So we don't, you know, if you look at soccer, you have to look at soccer as global and you can either be afraid that it's global or you can love it and embrace it and figure out what is the unique thing we're going to do as the NWSL. What is the unique thing the WSL is going to do? What's the unique thing Spain's going to do? What's Brazil going to do when they come out of, you know, the shadows as one of the largest soccer playing nations in, in the world. Um, so anyway, that's kind of how I look at it. And I also just sort of think like the obstacle is the way often. So the things that we don't have, um, how do we use those to our advantage? So the things that European countries don't have, how do they use those as their advantage rather than trying to be exactly like every other country? Just make it so every other country wants to watch you, watch your product and come and visit and get that experience and have it feel really different than what they got in their own country. Yeah. All right. I want to, I mean, I feel like we can't super dance around it just because I feel like there was all this very good energy around the World Cup. Right. And then the, the past week, we've been having a very different conversation um, with Spain. There is this sense of, OK, you're coming off of a World Cup win and then the entire conversation gets derailed. Right. And I think, you know, I, I made this point um, on a media hit the other day of like, I don't want to say that the U.S. is perfect by any stretch because we're not on this front. Like, but I think we have started to have the conversation around power and around 
you know, all like the NWSL went through it, right? Like we both, we've gone through it. <laughs> we have gone through part of it. The work is still very much ongoing and we're kind of seeing this mass implosion in Spain. Um, how do we, I guess, hold all of these things of like, there is to your point, this 100 day period where we've got this chance to like truly push and capture and, and do all the things that usually have to happen after world cup and have this conversation at the same time. Well, as my executive coach would say, this is all here for us. Um, but I mean, it's awful what's happening, right? That, that, that the Spanish women and, and, and Jenny Hermosa are spending all their time on this versus really enjoying an incredible magical feat that, that, you know, 0.001% of the population gets to experience. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of just a microcosm of, you know, all the change that is happening in the world for better or worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say two things. I mean, what, what got me into the sport was, uh, you know, uh, starting the gender equity nonprofit, in tech called All Rays and getting, you know, ending up working with Time's Up. Um, and that's where I met Natalie. Um, and so it, I, to me, it goes back to that. Like what, what, what we, Natalie and I first connected around was, was the sort of the Time's Up mission of creating, you know, a dignified and safe work environment where you are not afraid of, you know, assault of any kind, physical, mental, you know, and so, um, you know, I guess I'm, I'm sad that we're, I mean, I feel sadness as just as yeah. a human being, like I, I, you know, like, um, for a lot of sadness because these women deserve better. Um, and there are a lot of ways to handle this and the world is changing and that's hard for people in, you know, these positions, but also it's like, there is a time to sort of figure out how to move through this in a way where we can get better and not just come at each other. Um, and, you know, I feel like we fight these things behind the scenes all the time in lots of different ways. Like the actual physical nature of this is 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 pretty is pretty hard because you know many people love to debate the specifics, but at the end of the day, it's just um, you know um, litigating. It's a moment that happened in front of a lot of cameras. Yeah, like, litigating it is, what makes people feel safe yeah. and empowered versus not is it's probably not the best use of like litigation time. Let's just kind of. <laughs> find respect and, and figure out how to move forward in a respectful way. And I think canceling, like just spending all of our energy on, on canceling and fighting. You know, like I just, I want better for the world and I want better for these players, these teams. Um, and I want the same thing in boardrooms and, and it's just, you know, it's like, it's a time for respect. Yeah. I think one of the, the bright, parts of this though is that we have seen the solidarity you know and, and i think especially just being at an nwsl game this weekend and seeing mm. you know all of the contigo jenny um wristbands and and having the sense of you know it it did take this and this is the i think the thing that a lot of players are struggling with too it took players winning in order to have the conversation it also took the fact that it was this very public moment and on the biggest stage, right? That that is what has forced the conversation. But I think to your point, right? 2019 for the US women's national team, like they had to win in order to have the left. Like all of this stuff has happened before. It's kind of, I don't know. It still feels very baked in to the game at this point for me of just, they go hand in hand of you're playing a game on the field and you're playing at something much larger off of it. 
Yeah. And I just, I think the strength in Jenny, in the team, in the way they've navigated this, and in so many of the people in Spain, the former male players, the the government, like, you know, that are showing up um, uh, is very, you know, that's, that's, that it'll, it will hopefully drive change and awareness faster. I think it is showing the power of women's soccer as a cultural movement. And it's not just for the women, it's for the male, the true male allies and, you know, time to come together. And you're seeing a lot of that there too. Um, I've thought a little bit about, you know, all these analogies to the 99 team. Um, and, you know, how Alexia is sort of like the Mia Ham of Spain and that it took 25 years longer, but, you know, go to Camp Nou and hear them chant her name and La Reina. I mean, it's incredible. Um, and then I was thinking, you know, um, everyone knows Brandy because of Brandy Chastain because of her moment, her moment of strength in her, her sports bra. And Jenny is going to have a platform for the rest of her life. And I wish she didn't have to go through this to do this, but... Um, you know, I think what it what it's doing for me, I'm reading about Spanish legislation around gender equity and like marveling how, how far ahead they are in so many regards. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that at all. So it's creating curiosity around like how actually like policy and law is coming together with sport, what's coming together with culture and tradition. And sometimes the cultures that are more machismo overtly it's easier to kind of like address it and take it on than the more subtle stuff that happens quietly behind the scenes that you can't really talk about and it can accelerate change. So that's my hope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that there is a real, again, I, I think it's with the NWSL, right? Like we have seen that if you have the conversation, it does open up other paths that weren't previously available. So I think- yeah. The, the most optimistic version of this is that we are going to have this bigger conversation. It will have impacts in countries beyond Spain. Yeah. And, and I, I actually, I think in Spain, it's pretty interesting because so much of what makes the Spanish women's team successful are two or three clubs. Right. And in the U S it's the opposite, right? It's parody. And so, mm -hmm. you know, those are two very different things to assess and, and where you replicate versus not, but the clubs themselves are putting money, capital, the right kind of leadership, it seems behind the women's side. Um, and so it'll be interesting because they have sort of pub, you know, they have federation that is doing things in a very different way than our federation. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the fun parts of world cup for me, spending so much time with the new leadership at us soccer and just seeing, you know, kind of the, the, the exciting new people coming into it. And we have that as an advantage in the U S right. Uh, whereas they have clubs who can put real capital work and drive change in unified decision-making really quickly and sort of just like watching and learning and not being afraid again and figuring out how we can, feel competitive in the U.S. and um, out, out of that. So I think it continues to put it in the spotlight and people are still talking about the World Cup, you know, a week later. And I don't think any of us expected that. And ideally it'd be for a different reason, but here we are. Yeah. I mean, that is, I don't know. I feel like maybe that's just part of covering women's soccer for me. It's just like, it, it almost never is the reason why you think something is going to blow up. And then, I mean, that was, that was kind of the World Cup just in general around the U S women's national team performance. I feel like we were never having the actual conversation I expected us to be having. And then <laughs> we're suddenly in a complete, and it's just, I, yeah, it's part of the game. Um, I want to, I want to wrap up on your idea of kind of all of these different superpowers, right. As you called them. Yeah. Um, for you, I, I think, 
you know, one of the points that you hit a couple of times of just the U.S. does have this kind of massive commercial market, right? We've seen this explosive growth happening on the women's soccer side. Um, how do we balance the capital and the commercial part with, I think, and this is something that we've been kind of like dancing around this whole thing of like kind of protecting the heart of the game, right? Like having that be at the service of the game on the field and these players. Ooh, big one. Um, <laughs> so um, Just a small, you know, like, let's just, let's just break down some capitalism right now. That's, that's a tradition on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, Governance and capital, where it comes from matters, who the LPs are, what they represent, who's in these offices, who's doing the work every day, and then their strengths and weaknesses and a lot of self-awareness around that and how we come together and complement each other and take that fork. And so um, I think we need to really know what our vision is in the NWSL. I think our vision from the past is not necessarily going to serve us in the future, which is we have the best national team and the best homegrown players and the whole world is a step function behind us. And then we have equal, even play, right? And that's still fun, right? Because any team can beat any team in a weekend, but like, you know, who are the teams, you know, Liverpool, the Yankees, um, uh, the Warriors, um, you know, Manchester United, et cetera. And it is figuring out how to like really make sure the best players in the world want to play. And then you can create an incredible in stadium fan experience in as many stadiums as possible um, around this new community that's coming to women's soccer, which is different than the men's community and building that community and who shows up is important. So I think continuing, you know, look at who's investing in these teams. What do they stand for? Is it going to matter to supporters? Is it going to matter to players? Is it going to matter to the best talent who's going to come over from men's sports and from tech and media and places that are relevant? Um, having a North star, figuring out how to build trust around key stakeholders that are investing sensibly in the game and people who show up every day to do the work and then making hard decisions fast and, and not being afraid. I think that's the biggest thing is like, I, I think we're moving from, I mean, I'm never in steward mode. Um, I'm in a like, Hey, big pie, how do we go? And you can talk me out of anything. And I want to show up and work with great people who want to have the debate, make a decision and then support each other. But I do think this, this can be very exciting for the US because we still have the biggest domestic market of players and watchers. Um, we have more sponsors. This should be the prize for every league in Europe. And it is, it's all, it's on all of the radars, right? And mm -hmm. Um, and so how do we really think about what our advantage around sponsorships, how not to just compete on price, like all of these teams need to figure out how to be sustainable, or we will have sovereign wealth funds come in that don't necessarily represent values. How do we get intentional about creating, you know, businesses that aren't losing huge amounts of cash to grab players and, um, and, and taking risk and investing at the right time. And these are not easy topics. They're topics that require a hundred percent of your time, which is why I left tech and media to go do this with a hundred percent of my time. Cause it's all I want to think about, read about and bring more people over. So have a North star. Don't be afraid. We're moving from steward to innovation. Make sure we're have the A plus talent and we're not afraid to bring that A plus talent in and empower them. Um, and uh, move forward to enjoy this period. Cause it can be really, really fun if we, uh, if we let it be. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, 
I will be honest, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better after this conversation. <laughs> so I, I want to check in with you at the end of this 100 days. We have to figure out when that, it's going to be after the end of this all championship. Let's be real. Like, it's just, that's. <laughs> yeah, let's call the end of the 100 days at the end of the NWSL yeah. championship. I mean, I hope I hope we've made some moves by then. And I'm not I'm not in that room, but there's a lot of really great people in that room. Um, I'm a quiet i'm a quieter minority behind the scenes that just tries to bring people in and help generate some more revenue and find some stadiums to play in but um you know um let's check in i'd love to check in with you too and meg you have been such the voice of inspiration for all of us yeah i think you remember when i first met you i i like went to the ground and bowed and you were very <laughs> uncomfortable but um, i don't know how to do i don't know how to do positive comments in person okay so well it's, I, I, it's I not just you we won't give them to you too often, but I think the people doing the work and loving the sport um, and, uh, you know, we need that. We need the love. We need the action. We need the self-awareness and appreciate all the work, truly all the work you guys do. You do. The Athletic does this in the New York Times to, to cover it. It's been it's been terrific. Yeah. Well, the work is still going. It's, you know, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop until maybe December, but we'll find and, out. And if you've made it this far, read the article. It's uh, yeah. one one hundredth of what I wrote, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but a lot of a lot of passion went into it. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you for the time. Um, I'm sure everybody's tuning into Angel City Games, but you know, hopefully we'll we'll cross paths in LA at some point to see. You know, who knows? Who knows? I don't even know where I'm going this fall yet. Beyond. Well, you know, Cincinnati you're going in Chicago, San Diego, right? Yeah, I know. And I know I'm going to San Diego potentially <laughs> twice. So it's the so joys of my travel schedule continue. There are on. worse places to be in November. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. I am excited for some nice, lovely, because I, I didn't, you know, we, we missed out on summer being in Australia. And it was, I was, it was very brisk. So. That was the most confusing thing is to come back and be like, wait, it is really hot here. It's just like it really messes. Yeah, with your to be body. fair, like I'm in Burlington, Vermont. It has been like honestly very lovely here. But then I went down to New York City for a couple of days for that Gotham game. And I was like, oh, right. Humidity. Don't. Mm -mm, mm -mm, not oh, for me. Forgot so. about you, my friend, my <laughs> humid friend. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again for joining the pod. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk again soon. All right, so for all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all of the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus more information about the show. And again, if you'd like to subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage, this podcast, don't forget you can also sign up for our women's soccer newsletter. It's now weekly and supporting all of our NWCL and U.S. Women's National Team coverage. But it's just $1 a month. The newsletter's free. The podcast is free as always. But you can support that and and subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full time. My name is Meg Linehan. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm still on Twitter at it's Meg Linehan, same handle for Instagram and threads. I am very bad at using threads. Um, and of course, all of my work is at The Athletic. Full Time doesn't exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg. Thanks for listening. <laughs>